Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's week two of Rico Daily's look at the future of work. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Today is all about automation. You've heard the horror stories before. Restaurant jobs, factory jobs, office jobs. All the jobs are in danger because the robots are coming. We've been told about this version of automation for years, but the reality is as the technology gets better, automation is changing. We now have a much broader swath of human activities that can potentially be replaced by machines. And so that's what we're seeing now is the end of the era of of machines doing manual labor and the start of the era of machines doing cognitive labor. Kevin Roos is a tech columnist for The New York Times and the author of Future Proof, Nine Rules for Humans in the Age of Automation. Hey, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So when people hear the term automation, they might think of robots. The enforcement droid, Series 209, is a self-sufficient law enforcement robot. 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification, but that is only the beginning. But automation in the real world can look pretty different. It probably involves some combination of apps, algorithms, and AI. Can you describe how these tools work? So what we've been talking about mostly up until the last decade or so is machines doing manual labor hulking factory apparatuses that are, you know, moving car parts around and working with heavy metals and things like that. What we see now is that AI in particular is able to do cognitive work. It is able to do the kinds of work that we've thought only humans could do. It's doing things like projecting sales. It's doing things like coming up with uh, with strategies for businesses. It's designing things. It's, it's writing code. And so a lot of the automation that we see now is software-based. It's not robots with huge hulking machine arms in car factories and things like that. It's little plugins. It's little apps. It's things that connect one database to another database. And so it's not as visible as the big machines in the car factories were, but it is um, displacing people's jobs. It is automating work. And right now it's helping companies deal with the pandemic and the labor shortage. And can you give us an example of the sort of mundane automation you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time reporting on RPA and, and robotic process automation, and most of the examples are just dreadfully boring. So it's something like software that helps the billing department convert between currencies faster, or that plugs into our Oracle database and gives us a simpler accounts payable process. Um, it's the kind of thing that people are doing in the offices of these giant corporations, but then now can be done with software. That is painfully boring. <laughs> But what are some of the industries that have been especially susceptible to automation and not just 
the software companies you're talking about, but also places where regular people might start seeing automation? Yeah, well, we already see it happening um, during the pandemic. A lot of uh, grocery stores, retail stores, fast food chains, hotels, a lot of these places have been adopting technology, including AI-powered assistants, these sort of Amazon-style like automated checkout systems that don't require cashiers. This is now becoming the norm um, at a lot of businesses. And that's especially true when there's this labor shortage. Companies are finding it very hard to hire enough people to staff their businesses. And so a lot of them are turning to automation instead, which isn't subject to the same forces that human workers are. And of course, we started seeing self-checkout machines years and years ago. But it seems like the trend has, has sped up. How has the pandemic impacted the rate at which work is being automated? Well, it's pretty drastic. It's accelerating the trends that were happening before, but there's sort of two automation stories during the pandemic. The first automation story was in the early days of the pandemic when the virus was was rampant. There were no vaccines. Companies were you know, dealing with workers calling in sick and trying to follow social distancing guidelines and things like that. And there we saw automation that was really just meant to keep the companies running, to be able to produce enough products. So we saw companies like meat processing plants adopting a lot of automation, not because they were trying to replace workers, but because everyone else was getting sick. So that was the impetus for that wave of automation was just to be able to keep running. And then later in the pandemic, after vaccines and and once we sort of got the virus under control in most parts of the U.S., we now see automation that is designed to deal with a labor shortage, this nationwide inability to hire enough workers to fill these positions. Um, Instead of doing things like raising wages, companies are saying, well, wait a minute, couldn't we automate some of those jobs away? So that's what we're seeing more of now is not so much the business continuation automation, it's the labor automation that's designed to allow companies to do the same amount of work with fewer people. I've talked to some folks in this industry who said that they saw 10 years worth of change in the last 18 months. And the way that we track this is a little uh, wonky, but basically you can look at metrics like corporate spending on equipment, meaning you know automation technology, software, servers, things like that. And that rose 26% between the second quarter of 2020 and the second quarter of 2021. And a lot of robotics companies reported record sales. Um, there's just been a boom in technology that is meant to replace workers and to fill in the gaps um, when companies can't stay fully staffed. And what's happened in the last 18 months, what does that tell us about how the future of automation might look different than maybe we previously thought? Well, I think we have this sort of outdated notion of how automation happens, where you know you, you work in a factory and one day you come in and there's just a machine sitting in your spot doing your job on the assembly line. And that's not really how it works anymore. I mean, what we see now most of the time is companies with very low automation being just replaced entirely, being challenged by companies with very high rates of automation. You know, one example of this that's outside the U.S. is what's happening in China with lending. There's a company called MyBank, which has become one of the largest lenders in China. And uh, its signature loan product is called 310 because it takes you three minutes to apply for a loan, one second for an algorithm to determine whether you should get that loan, and zero humans are involved anywhere in the process. And that company 
never had to lay off you know, tens of thousands of human loan officers because it never employed them in the first place. But other Chinese lenders do employ tens of thousands of loan officers. And so as my bank grows, it challenges those businesses to come up with ways to do the same amount of work with fewer people and to automate their operations as well. That example kind of reminds me of the startup insurance company Lemonade. Old insurance kind of sucks, but Lemonade is different. When you pay us, we take a small flat fee. The rest goes to covering your stuff. So if something happens, we pay super fast. That's what you get when you have bots instead of brokers and algorithms instead of paperwork. Maybe it's too late to call it a startup. It's it's now a publicly traded company, but it sort of does a similar thing with insurance. Absolutely. And I think we're also seeing this in sectors like restaurants. I mean, you know, restaurants used to employ people, you know, to do the kind of basic routing, the kind of like dispatch system for delivery and things like that. And now a lot of that's being done by automated platforms like DoorDash and Toast and all these apps that we now use to sort of expedite and automate the process of restaurant delivery. And um, there's still plenty of humans involved in that process, but fewer than there used to be. So, of course, this can be bad for workers, those that would have had those jobs. But the shift is not all bad, right? What are some of the benefits of these developments for businesses and especially customers? Yeah, well, I think for customers and businesses, the first benefit is it's just much safer to employ, you know, robots don't get COVID. And so at least that we know of yet. And so if you have a a more automated process that's much less risk of, of getting people sick. But also the, the sort of economic argument for this is that productivity is good and increased productivity, doing more work with fewer people, powers growth um, and ultimately improves the quality of life for everyone. And so if we do see mass automation, it could result in people losing their jobs or people not having jobs to come back to if they've lost their jobs already. But it could also result in fewer of these kind of mundane, repetitive jobs existing. It could result in people being freed up to do things that they find more rewarding. And if I can ask you to sort of look even further into the future, and in my head, it's all somewhat sci-fi inspired, but there's this peak of the automated economy where humans and robots are working happily together. What do you think that might look like and how do you think we might get there? Well, I think we already have humans and robots working together. We just don't call it that. We call it, you know, being an Amazon driver or an Amazon warehouse worker or an Uber driver or a restaurant worker. I mean, these are people who are essentially managed by algorithms. They take instructions from a screen, from an app, from a decision-making robot that has told them where to go, what to deliver, how fast to do it, that tracks their productivity. So I think that's sort of going to become the norm in many more industries, including white-collar industries, is that the actual workers will remain humans, but the management layer will be automated. We will all essentially become Uber drivers or YouTubers or Amazon delivery people, people whose jobs involve taking instructions from machines. And it sounds like also who are sort of subject to performance reviews that could be automated. 
Yeah, there's a whole genre of app that I've started calling Bossware, which uses AI to essentially track, surveil, and manage workers. And this is happening now at work-from-home companies that have large percentages of their workforce working remotely. They're now requiring people to install these software programs that track their mouse movements and their eyes when they're on video calls and make sure they're hitting their productivity targets. Um, It's the kind of thing that we've seen in in, uh, blue-collar workplaces for years now, but it's now starting to become the norm in white-collar workplaces as well. Right. We actually had an episode last week about this increase in surveillance at work. With that in mind, I got to ask, how worried should we be about this future? It depends. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad one. And we could make this um, a more humane economy through through automation. We could replace a lot of the most degrading and, and difficult tasks that humans are currently paid to do. Um, but we could also make it worse for people with things like worker surveillance software and tracking people through their mouse movements. It really depends on how we decide to implement this technology um, and whether executives, people in positions of power in our economy are using it to help human workers or to replace them and surveil them. In your recent book, you posed the question, how can we be happy, successful humans in a world built by and for machines? Without giving too much of the book away, what answer did you arrive at? Well, part of it is that we have to find occupations and jobs and niches in which our humanity is actually an asset, <laughs> you know, in which we are not being sort of optimized the way that you know a robot might optimize its performance, but we're doing things that only humans can do. Um, and so, if you're you know in the restaurant industry, that might involve you know working on your sort of human interaction skills. If you're in medicine, it might mean working on your bedside manner. If you're in journalism, it means finding stories that you know are unique and inspiring and that no algorithm could ever surface on its own. It's about finding the pockets where we can't be replaced and focusing our energies there. All right, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. If you liked this episode and want to learn more about the future of work, head over to the Today Explained podcast by Vox. For the last month, they've been exploring this topic every Friday, and today they released the final episode of that series. So go check it out. Today's episode of Rico Daily was produced by Alan Rodriguez Espinosa and engineered by Paul Robert Mouncey. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> 